Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Our scripture today is a, a story that you may have heard before. I'm just guessing, if you've been in church very, very often, you've probably heard this once or twice. It's out of the middle of the 10th chapter of Luke. Jesus was on his way somewhere, like he usually was. And he got involved in a conversation, and as it kind of turns out, he tells a story that we have remembered often and with great affection. So listen carefully for the Word of God. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Thanks be to God. For his holy word. Would you pray with me? Oh God, let me not stand in your way, but open your word to us in these moments together that we may receive a message that is helpful to our lives and a blessing to our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I took a little bit of Bible when I was in college. I took a lot of Bible when I was in seminary. And whenever the story of the Good Samaritan came up, my Bible teachers were always really quick to point out how offensive this story must have sounded to the first people Jesus told it to. You see, a Samaritan was the last person that any self-respecting Jewish person would have wanted to rescue them. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. There's a racial component to that. And, and, and the Jewish people were ashamed of them. They didn't like them. They, they really looked down on them, and it was just ugly. So for him to make the hero of the story a Samaritan, I mean, if Jesus were telling a story today, it would be the story of the good member of Hezbollah. Okay? Uh, or, or in your life, just... Just fill in the blank. The good member of whoever's the last person you want to rescue you. Okay? That's the way this worked. Now, the only reason I point that out, I don't want to belabor that point, 
Um, but I do want to, I do want to lead it to this. You and I don't get what I just said. All of that's over our heads and for a good reason, because all our lives we have been taught, you and I have been taught to be good Samaritans. I mean, my mama taught me this in the fourth grade of Sunday school. There were six of us there that day, and she in her East Georgia Southern drawl explained to us, now you want to be a good Samaritan? When I was pastor, I served several churches, and we had good Samaritan funds. People would come down, you remember these days, when you'd kneel at the altar to receive communion, and we had a little, we had a, a little, uh, not the, the places to put the individual cups like you do, but we had just a little railing, a little uh, slot behind the railing, and people would leave some money there. Five dollars, ten dollars, whatever. And, and the communion stewards would collect that money afterwards, and they give it to the treasurer, and they put it in a special fund, the Good Samaritan Fund. And so when somebody came by the church and they needed help with rent, or they needed gas money, or they needed groceries, that's where we paid for that out of. And it was a great idea back in the 20th century. You couldn't get enough money to do that now. But, but that's the way we did it, and we called it a Good Samaritan Fund. We've all learned in our lives to be good Samaritans. It's one of the first lessons you get taught in the Bible. And there's a good reason we have learned to be good Samaritans. Because that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. The Samaritan is the one in this story that Jesus lifts up as the model for our behavior. What I want to help you understand today is the perspective that makes the Samaritan our model. This parable is one of those fascinating places in the Scriptures, and there's several of these, where Jesus points us to a connection between our spiritual lives and our possessions. There are three distinct perspectives in this story. The first is the perspective of the robbers. What's yours is mine. What's yours is mine, so I can take it. Thirty years ago, I was a pastor on a staff at Decatur First United Methodist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Decatur was one of our larger churches. It was Decatur itself is the the closest eastern side suburb of Atlanta. It's the home of the CDC. If you ever hear about the Centers for Disease Control, it's, it's right there in Decatur. We had a lot of retired clergy in our congregation there, and we had a number of clergy uh, pastors who had uh, never worked in, in the local church but had worked in what we call appointments beyond the church. And uh, there was one in particular that was a good friend of mine, and he had spent a, close to a decade and a half as a counselor for alcoholics in rehab. And he finally said, you know, I think I've had enough of that. Uh, it's, it's, I, I appreciate what I've done, but I need a change of pace. So for a change of pace, he got a new job as a chaplain in the state prison system. That's some kind of change of pace, don't you think? But I had a question for him very quickly because they had just opened a new prison on the south side of Atlanta. 
But they didn't call it a prison. They called it the state diagnostic center. And so I had a question for my friend. I said, what, why, what's, what's up with that? Why do they call it that? And he didn't think that was a strange question at all. He just calmly began to explain to me. Well, Zip, when anybody comes into the prison system, the first thing that we do is we put them through a series of diagnostic tests to rank them on a five-point scale as to how much of a threat this person, this inmate is, to other human beings. Wow. And if they're a great threat to other humans, then they go to a maximum security prison. And if they're a kind of a mid-range security threat, they go to a regular prison. And if they're no threat at all to other human beings, then they go to West Virginia like Martha Stewart and play tennis and golf, you know, at the minimum security, whatever. The first question that they asked in, in, in the prison system, he said, was how much of a threat is this person to others? I've always remembered that conversation because until I had that conversation, I just never thought about that. I guess I'd led, led a sheltered life, but it just never had occurred to me. How do you take something that belongs to somebody else? Well, you operate out of this perspective of what's yours is mine. But it's not just people in prison that think that way. This is the same thing behind unfair, predatory business practices or price gouging, uh, exorbitant interest rates. There's an element of this in gambling. There are lots of ways of predatory living, and we all have to deal with it. If you push it back as far as it can go, you'll get back to what my mother taught me about the dinner table when I was about 11 or 12. She pulled me aside one night, and we had a talk. She said, now, Zia, we have about eight people coming for dinner tonight. And so, son, when you get the bowl of mashed potatoes, I don't want you to take a third of the bowl the way you normally do. Just take one, one spoonful because we've got to make it all the way around the table. You understand? Do you ever stop and think how many voices there are in this world that keep encouraging us to take more and more, even to the point of what's yours is mine. Well, I can promise you, that perspective will get you in trouble every time. The second perspective in the story is what's mine is mine. What's mine is mine. That's the perspective that guided the priest and the Levite. Now think about this. They were model citizens. They were looked up to in their community. They were upstanding folks. They were admired. They were busy people. Maybe that was the problem. They, maybe they were too busy. Or maybe they were just scared. They were scared they'd get mugged too. Or, or they just didn't know this guy in the ditch. So why should I help him? Jesus really doesn't explain why. He just makes it clear that the priest and the Levite, for whatever reason, were not willing to cross the line into helping. What's mine is mine, so I can't share. I can't help. It's kind of like the opposite of gratitude, don't you think? Gratitude, isn't the essence of gratitude really a sense that at least some of the blessings and the good in my life has been given to me? It's a gift. I, I didn't really earn it. It just came to me. Some of this is a gift. That's, that's where gratitude comes from. If, 
If there is no gratitude and it's just all yours because you did it and you, you, you know, you're, you're the one, I think you're going to have to spend an awful lot of time being afraid. Being afraid that you'll lose it. Afraid that you've got all you'll ever have. Or maybe afraid that what you have is really all there is to life. There's not much room for gratitude with all that fear. Ernest Hemingway had a great way of thinking about this. He, he, he said, shared this one time. He said, every year I give away some of my things so I can show that they do not possess me. I possess them so I can give them away. That's a pretty healthy way of thinking about possessions. You know, I thank God all the time we got four Gospels. If we didn't have all four, we really miss a lot. Do you realize, if we didn't have the Gospel of Luke, if you can imagine a Bible without Luke in it, do you realize if we didn't have Luke, we wouldn't know a thing about shepherds at Christmas time? Or the prodigal son? Or the lost sheep? Or the good Samaritan? Because Luke is the only one of the four that remembered to tell us those stories. And if you read the entire 10th chapter of Luke, we kind of sliced it out of the middle this morning. If you read the whole chapter, you'll find that Jesus tells this story in the middle of a conversation with a guy we like to call the rich young ruler who was an upstanding citizen in his community. He was admired and looked up to and who seemed to have been doing well for himself. By all measurements, he would have been called successful. And yet he still felt empty inside. And so he came to Jesus, as Luke puts it, to justify himself. And he ends up in the conversation asking Jesus, he says, you know, how do I obey the law? And Jesus says, love, you know, others and love your neighbor as yourself. And he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus told this story. The rich young ruler was trying to escape this unbalanced perspective of what's mine is mine. Well, finally, the Samaritan shows up. Everything in the world takes a turn for the better at that point, And our model perspective is revealed. The Samaritan's perspective is, what's mine is ours. What's mine is ours. You see, the Samaritan, even though he wouldn't be admired by the people Jesus was talking to, the Samaritan crosses the line to helping. Jesus tells us how the Samaritan helped in rich detail. And not only did the Samaritan help, but he helped extravagantly. He washed, he went three rounds with this guy. He washed his wounds. He put him on his own animal. For us, that'd be the backseat of our car. And then he took him to shelter. He rented a room for this guy he'd never met before. And he came back to check on him again. He got involved. He put his name on a credit slip. Did you hear that in the story? Here, two denarii. And when I come back, I'll pay you whatever more you spend. Did you hear that? Folks, that's as close as you're going to get to MasterCard or Visa in the New Testament. The Samaritan stayed with it to the end. 
That's the behavior that comes out of this perspective of what's mine is ours. And what I want you to understand is that perspective is contagious. It turns people's heads and it changes lives. It happened in a church in the southeast. It was a a congregation that had outgrown its space. They were packed in on Sunday morning, and they needed to build a a bigger building. And so they began to make plans, and they probably were trying to build a building about the size of this one. Can you imagine what it would cost to build this today? They did a preliminary study, and they learned that they had every reason to think they could raise in a, in a, in a three-year capital campaign about $1.8 million. But the architect said it was going to take $3.2 million. There's a difference between 1.8 and 3.2, and it can be frightening, especially when you put a million after it. But the pastor and the church leaders said, well, we don't have much of a choice. We're so packed in, we've got to have more space, so let's see what we can do. So they got started. They got together church leaders. They began to pray. They began their planning phase, and they were getting everything uh, going. There was a woman that everybody knew in the church who ended up being a part of that planning team. She she was a little thing, about 4 feet 11. Wasn't very tall at all, but everybody in the church knew her. Her name was Regal. Isn't that a great name? And she she was known to everybody because she had this terminal case of enthusiasm. She just beamed whenever she walked into a room. And she was at the church as often as she could be. From an early age, Regal had struggled in her life because she she had a birth defect that made it difficult for her to walk. She just didn't get around very well. But she had found her way through to, to, to make make things work, and she had gotten a responsible job, and she was earning a living, and she had done very well for herself considering the the handicaps that she she was wrestling with. And she loved her church. That's why she was always there. About two or three weeks after they got into the process, she made an appointment to talk with her pastor, and they sat down, and she said, Pastor, I've never made a lot of money, but I've always given 10% of what I earn to the church because that's what my mother taught me. And I've been praying like we've asked everybody to do, but I've got to tell you right now, I just don't see how I can make an extra gift to this campaign. Well, the pastor blessed her. He looked at her and smiled and said, Regal, I'm so impressed with your concern about this, but you need to understand that you're already doing so much for this church. And we're so delighted that you're a part of this church and we love you. And you're already supporting the ministry of this church. You don't have to give to this campaign. We knew when we started, not everybody could do that, and it's okay. I'm just asking you to pray like everybody else. God, what do you, what do you want to do through me? And, and you don't need to worry about this anymore. Well, she thanked the pastor, and um, uh, they had a prayer, and she went on her way, but she kept praying. And about a week later, she had begun to sense an answer that she felt was God leading her. And so on her day off, she made three errands. She first of all went to her bank and she opened up uh, her safe deposit box and there she retrieved an antique brooch, a big pin. 
that she'd wear on your shoulder. It was from her grandmother, and her grandmother had given her this antique jewelry on her 21st birthday, about 20 years before. It was a, a cherished treasure for, for Regal, but she, she took it out of, the, out of the safe deposit box that day. Then she went to make her second stop at the jewelry store. And she presented that, that pin to the jeweler and asked him to uh, appraise it. And he told her after he looked at it for a while that he thought it was worth about $1,800. She got a letter that established that value And then her third stop was to go back to the church and to see the pastor again. Pastor, this is not much, but it's what I've got. And I want the church to have this. Here's a letter that says this this pen, my grandmother gave it to me on my 21st birthday. This pen's worth $1,800. I hope you can get $1,800 for it. And the pastor asked the question you know he'd ask. Regal, are you sure you want to part with this? And she said, yes, I've prayed about it. And my mother taught me that the greatest gifts are gifts that come out of our treasure. And this is a gift from my treasure. I have no doubt about that. And I want my church to have it because this means that much to me. Well, to his credit, the pastor accepted the gift. But to his double credit, he didn't do anything with it. He just put it away in a safe place in his office. And he didn't talk much about it, but I bet he probably told the church secretary and that was all he needed to do. Um, and it, and it, it got out. You know how it is. It got out. And a couple of weeks later, people were kind of beginning to sit down in one of the Sunday school classes. And one fellow leaned over to another and said, have you heard what Regal's going to do? No. What's she doing? She's giving her grandmother's antique brooch. Antique jewelry? Yeah, she got it appraised, $1,800. Antique jewelry, grandmother's brooch. Wait a minute. We can't let her do that. We've, we've got to buy it back. Well, okay, I guess I could give it a few hundred dollars if you could give a few hundred. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'll give $1,800. And you give $1,800. And then let's see who else we can get to give $1,800. Well, when you put it that way, we better find some other people. Doggone it, if I'm going to give $1,800, Bill better give $1,800. I've got to call him today. So they started a whisper campaign. And they whispered all over the church. Nobody tell Regal. We're trying to buy back the brooch. And by the time they were finished... 258 families in that congregation had agreed to buy back the brooch for $1,800 each. That $1,800 brooch turned into $464,400. Well, this was in the fall, and they were going to announce their results in mid-December. So right, right at Thanksgiving time, they announced an extra service that had not been on the church calendar. It was a Sunday night, and they, they were going to have this special service. They had some name for it, and it was a disguise. And then they made sure somebody called Regal and made sure Regal was there because they invited Regal to help, help with the offering that night. So at the appointed time, they escorted Regal to the front, and they turned her to face the congregation, and then they explained to her that everybody in the sanctuary that night 
were the 258 households who had given money to buy back the brooch. And they shared with her how her faith had spread across that congregation. And then from the side, they came up to present her back the brooch in a tender ceremony of gratitude and love. The next week, this congregation that was supposed to be able to raise $1.8 million, but needed $3.2 million, announced that their campaign had raised $3.678 million. Regal was operating out of the perspective of the Good Samaritan. What's mine is ours. And that perspective is contagious. That perspective will change the world. And when you act generously, you'll learn that what's mine is more than you ever thought it could be. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for people who have given to us. We thank you for people who who built these buildings we gather in. We thank you for people who taught us when we were younger. We thank you for people who have done things we'll never know about, but things that ended up blessing our lives. God, help us to understand our place in that stream. Help us to step in and to share with others because others have shared with us. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.